If you ache for truth, goodness, and beauty, if you're hungry for a Christianity with substance and strength, if you long for a faith that's big and bold and biblical and all about Jesus Christ, if you're inspired by the idea of one church that has spanned 20 centuries, 24 time zones, and two hemispheres, enfolding every race, nation, and language, then you're considering Catholicism. Welcome to Considering Catholicism. I'm Greg Smith, your guide to the faith, life, and civilization that is historic Catholic Christianity. If you're a regular listener to the podcast or reader of the blog, then you know my Protestant friend, Ed. Ed and I used to work together at a non-denominational evangelical church. I left to enter the Catholic Church, and Ed stayed behind. But about a year or so ago, Ed began to consider the Catholic faith. And we've been recording and sharing our conversations in real time, working through his questions and concerns and, and his discoveries. So way back in episode 29, Ed asked me what Catholicism teaches about the Virgin Mary. And afterward, we had a, well, a lot of responses to that episode. It seemed to make a, a real impression with many listeners. Well, apparently, it made a real impression on Ed. Because a couple of weeks later, he asked if he could write an article about it on the website, consideringcatholicism.com. And of course, I said, well, absolutely. He called it, I didn't see this coming. You can go to the blog and read it for yourself. So when we got together again recently, I asked him about it. He talked about how our previous conversation about Mary had been something of an epiphany for him and moved him very deeply and that he feels compelled to respond somehow, to, to deepen his relationship with Jesus Christ by getting to know Jesus' mother, Mary. In the course of our discussion, we explored the meaning of this Catholic phrase or principle, to Jesus through Mary. What does that mean? Why is it important? Where does it take us? So anyway, take a listen and let us know what you think by posting a comment on the episode or article or sending an email to greg at consideringcatholicism.com. Welcome to Church Chats with Greg and Ed, where Greg and his Protestant friend Ed chat about the church. So, Ed, on the Considering Catholicism blog, you wrote this article, really interesting article the other day called I Didn't See It Coming. And I just was so fascinated, moved by it, and I think some other people were as well, that I wanted to explore that a little more with you or sure. give you a chance to kind of unpack it because it, it really was moving and, and powerful. So talk to me about it. Well, you know, when we, uh, what I said uh, in about two thirds of the way through was really the experience I had. I was sitting here with you and we were talking about all this and I assume myself to be not driven by my emotions right. and, and it's all intellectual, you know, I'm in right. control and everything. So I'm, I'm sitting here and you, you were telling me about Mary, explaining things about Mary. And I got this, it dawned on me what you were saying. You know, I had never, ever heard any of this about Mary. And she was this 
in in the Protestant world, she's basically just this flannel graph cutout that you stick on a on a board in Sunday school, and that's all she was. And when you started talking about her being the second Eve, which appealed to my intellectual thing, right? So, oh my gosh, this is fascinating. The second, you know, all the references to the Old Testament and all the uh, types and all that. But when you got to the, when I realized, when I connected the dots, that she's still doing this. Mm. That, I thought, oh my gosh, I am, I could be part of something that started 2,000 years ago and is still going on and I could jump in on. Mm -hmm. This is not theoretical and it's not, and it's, how do I say that? It's specific. Yeah. It's not a set of principles. Mm. There's an actual woman. Yeah. Who is, who actually has, uh, at least the Catholic faith is yeah. telling us that she's, she's still alive. She's still doing this. Uh, she still has influence with her son in one long continuous line from the time he was born and right up until now. And that was, I found that to be utterly compelled. I, yeah. I had not, I didn't, like I said in the, in the post, I didn't even, I wasn't sitting there thinking, wow, that's fascinating. I have to go think about it. Right. I was thinking, Oh my God, if this is true and it, and it, you made the case in my opinion, yeah. well then I, I, I'm an idiot. If I don't jump in, I got to right. get in on this, you know, right. this is this. And, and I wanted, I found myself wanting t- to be connected with Mary. I wanted mm. myself, I found myself thinking if I ever, 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 uh, in the next life get to talk to her, I want to, I, I want to meet her. I want, yeah. I want, I want her to approve of me. I want her yeah. to help me. I want. Yeah, so like I said in the, if you haven't read the blog post, I thought that Catholicism would come in through the front door, right? all formal and polite. The moral and it, theology, yeah. the doctrinal stuff. I never thought I would, I would, if I come into the Catholic church, it would not be because, because I was just swept up or something, yeah. you know? And, uh, but my analogy was that it was more like Catholicism is coming in through the kitchen yeah. and bringing something that smells so good. I just have to have, I have to partake of it. That was, yeah. Well, you know, we, we've talked an awful lot. And when I taught the Dante class that you took, we talked an awful lot about the, what are called the three transcendentals, right? Truth, goodness, and beauty. Mm-hmm. And that God embodies those three qualities in himself. Absolutely. Right. He is ultimately truth, right? The logos, I am the way and the truth of life. He's ultimately good and goodness and he's ultimately beauty. But that each of those is a way that we find him. Also, that when we find something that is true, and if we follow the stream of something that's true up to its origin, mm-hmm. it leads us to, to the origin and God right. of truth. Right. And the same thing with goodness and beauty. And what, what I, you know, what I hear you saying, and I, I think I, <laughs> it's interesting because when you think about Mary, there is a component, like you say, of truth to it, like an aha, Right. right? Right. You know, where you start to go, and this was my experience, and I think it's experience for a lot of Protestant converts. You know, I think when you, we've talked before, when you come to Catholicism from Protestantism, Mary is often this, this enormous source of resistance. Right. Right. You know, like Protestants just resist the concept of Mary, right? And everything Marian is frightening. In fact, you know, one of the things that I thought was weird in Protestantism is how little they talk about Mary in as much as it's almost like thy protest by thy silence or whatever. Right, right, right. Right. You know, so 
I used, I used to, I've, I think I made this point before, maybe on the podcast or I've, I know I've talked to people about it. I remember in my Protestant days, we heard about more about the wee little man Zacchaeus who climbed the sycamore tree. Yeah. We had songs about the wee little man Zacchaeus who climbed the sycamore tree. Right. I heard more sermons about the wee little yeah. man Zacchaeus who yeah. climbed the sycamore tree than I ever heard about Mary, the mother of right. Jesus, right. who even in a Protestant, you know, scheme is still one of the greatest heroes of the Bible. And one right. of the things for me was it started to feel weird. It was almost like she'd been erased. Yeah. And when you talk about Bible heroes, you never hear Mary listed as a Bible hero. Right. She gets trotted out, you know, at Christmas right. with a Christmas carol or something. And then she just is almost like airbrushed out of the pantheon of Bible heroes and Protestantism. And at some point that started to feel weird. Why doesn't she get at least as much attention as Zacchaeus, the wee little man or whatever, right? right? And so that was kind of a, a tell for me that yeah. there's something here, but that that resistance, when you begin to put the pieces together and you start to understand the truth about Mary, yes, it lights up your intellect. But I hear you talking about something that's even more, and that's the goodness and beauty. Well, you, you said something that in that podcast, I think it was in that podcast, that made a difference to me. And this was an intellectual thing. You said, look, the Protestants are, have made a lot more out of a lot less in the New Testament than this. And that kicked the door open for me to, mm -hmm. to, be, to, to be willing to listen yeah. to, to the evidence, which is what you did. But once, once the door was open and the evidence was plain to me, then I felt like I, I wanted to rush in. Well, you know? yeah, it's, it's almost a great analogy because what, what happens is there's a sense of resistance and think whatever, you know, metaphor you want, like a door, right. you know, and as a Protestant, you're like, I, you know, that door, that wall or whatever it is, I can't. But once you get a crack through it, then all of a sudden it all begins to stream in. So if you arrive at it through the intellectual, through the, the way of truth, you arrive at it through sort of doctrinal biblical understanding and that cracks the wall. Right. Then you're like, oh my gosh, now it opens me up to understand the goodness and beauty that Mary represents right. in scripture and in right. reality and everything else. She is the, the, the perfect disciple of Jesus. Her goodness is, you know, uh, she's arguably other than Jesus himself, the, the goodest human right. uh, that's ever lived. And her beauty, the beauty of her love, the beauty of her submission, her fiat to God, the beauty of the way that she submits to God and, the, and, and, and raises Jesus, all of the things that come through all of a sudden, yeah, once you break through the resistance that Protestants have built in, right. it all just, then you get like, it's almost like the, the spaceship wall gets penetrated in the vacuum and then right. he's like all oh, everything rushes through right. right or i don't know whatever but uh, yeah it's super powerful uh talk me a little bit more about that what that experience has been like with you and how others have reacted and okay so i've never known in real life i've never talked with anybody who actually asked mary to intercede right mm -hmm. i've never talked to anybody who right. interacted that way and i i did this blog post and i have there's a, a woman I correspond with from out of state. I've never met her. I don't know her. I don't know her in real life at all. You, you may want to clarify that for 
podcast. Right. So this the strange woman that you correspond with. I yeah I I I, uh, I how'd you meet her? I I'm playing through an app through an app through an internet. No, no, app. Oh, I'm sorry. No, 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 no. This is someone I have anonymously been playing words with friends. Well, that's with. the app, right? Right. And you, I and the I, words with friends, right? But it wasn't a dating app. No, it's a words with friends it's app. An app. Okay. So I'm, I'm playing card, this yeah. on, and I've played against her for I don't know five or six years, and um, I just have never spoken to her or anything. But I just you know, and there's a little chat box in there, so right. back and forth we go, and. Uh, I, you know, gradually I, I, so I told her I'm, I'm involved in this podcast thingy and maybe right. you'd be interested in giving it a little, you know, PR. I did this with a couple of people that I play against and, 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 uh, and, and nobody else bit, oh. uh, but, but this woman did. So she, she's been listening off and on and I sent her the blog post. I sent her a link and I mm -hmm. said, here, you might want to read this. And she responded with a story of her own. And she's the first person who's ever actually told me a story like this. And it was without revealing, I don't you know anything much. She was worried that her son would be born with a disability and she was worried about some other things. And she, she asked Mary because Mary had suffered watching her own son. Mm -hmm. uh, she, she said, I, I was asking her to please pray for me that I, you know, I, I have these troubles. And, and, and let me just, Interject there, right. I mean, so there's a natural human instinct to go to somebody who can empathize. Yes. So if I'm struggling with something else and I say have a human right. friend who's struggled with something like that, I may go to them and ask them, will you pray for me? Because there's a sort of empathy. I, uh, on a, as a side note, about 20 years ago, I got divorced. But I was, at the time, I was a church music director at a big church and everybody knew my name. Uh, in fact, I was up there more than anybody. I was, I was the most familiar person on the stage. Speakers come and go, but the music director never gets a vacation. And there I was, right? And when it became sort of known that I was in the middle of a divorce, people were coming out of the woodwork wanting to talk to me. Just, mm -hmm. They just wanted to talk to me. They weren't yeah. asking me to do anything. They just wanted to talk to me. So I understand that impulse. Um, so she reaches out she, to Mary, you know, because there's a natural in instinct that I'm worried about and, my son and right. she could understand. And, and, uh, her, uh, in the end, her, her son was born healthy and, and she was grateful of, and, and all that. And she was, uh, visiting family someplace. And she was near a place where there was a, a place where people went to thank Mary, this cathedral. And she went there just to see it. But when she got there, she was overwhelmed with emotion from the, you know, and she, she, she said she thanked Mary for her son being born healthy. And she said she had the overwhelming sense that Mary was saying to her, don't thank me, thank my son. He's the one who did this. And, and I thought, you know, I always assume naively and that, and maybe it's even, it's a little bit arrogant for me to think, well, those, those Catholics, they don't know what they're doing. It's, it's a bunch of superstitions. There's people who pray into Mary, but she said, this indicated to me, what she said was that she understood that Mary was not didn't have any magical powers or anything. She wasn't, she didn't do it. She just asked on behalf. That's what she did. She interceded for this little boy being born. And I thought that was, I thought, well, here I am my first encounter with a Catholic who, right. you know, and this woman totally understood, you know, you know, Mary always directs us to her son. You know, Mary's mission, her purpose is to give birth 
to her son, to give glory to her son, to direct people to her son. You know, and this is, I think, a misunderstanding that Protestants have, that somehow Mary is this goddess, that Catholics have this kind of neo-pagan notion of Mary as kind of a goddess or, you know, having power in her own. When we look at her in scripture, all about Mary, everything about Mary directs us to her son. And, you know, it's interesting, uh, one of the more revealing passages in scripture about this is in the book of John. And it's the first of the signs or miracles that Jesus does in John. And that's the wedding at Cana. So they go to this wedding, right? Relatives, they run out of wine. The people say to Mary, you know, Mary becomes aware of this. She goes to Jesus and says, they've run out of wine. Can you do something for them? And that, that's deeply symbolic because wine represents for this married couple joy and hospitality right. and all these things. And Jesus says, ah, I kind of you know, deflects a little bit, you know, right. it's not my time. This isn't the right time for this. You know, it's not time for me to sort of reveal my messianic right. um, purpose at this, this juncture. And, but she, you know, because of as a good Jewish mother says, please. Right. What she's doing is interceding on behalf of this couple right. who've run out of wine and the joy of their wedding and the embarrassment and the frustrations of life. And in response to Mary sort of interceding on their behalf, Jesus says, okay. And then, and these are literally the last words that Mary speaks in scripture. She mm-hmm. appears a, a few more times, but the last words that she speaks, Jesus says, okay, I'll do something. And then it says that she turns to the servants at the wedding and says, right. do whatever he tells you. And those are Mary's last words in scripture. Do whatever my right. son tells you. Because Mary is never about drawing something to herself. She's always about reflecting his glory, pointing to sure. him, driving us deeper to her son. And I think that brings me something I kind of want to talk to you about, which is a phrase an expression in Catholicism, which is like kryptonite to Protestants, as, <laughs> right. as like on your SAT test, as kryptonite is to Superman, what <laughs> this is to Protestants, right? And that is this phrase, to Jesus through Mary. Mm-hmm. Now that's a, that's a, a phrase in Catholicism. It's right. got a whole history that we don't have to get into the history of, of that. It goes back to about 500 years ago or so when that phrase was coined, but the idea goes way back. But this idea of to Jesus through Mary literally is like kryptonite to Protestants. They like, oh my gosh, to Jesus through Mary. Right. We don't go to Jesus through Mary. We go to Jesus, right? This is right. making Catholics are setting up this intermediary right. between us and Christ and that for our salvation, we have to go through her. And this, this causes all kinds of you know, revulsion. I remember when I was in a Calvinist seminary and we were, all of us, even Protestants at that time, were attracted to Pope John Paul II because he was, you know, he was a charismatic figure and he was doing a lot of great stuff and his moral theology was amazing. He was a great world leader and even we could admire those parts of it. But John Paul II, I'll never forget when I was in seminary, gave some speech or something and he talked about to Jesus through Mary. And I remember every one of us goes, I like that guy until that point. This is like, this is the worst of Catholicism. Right. But I want to come back to it because I, I want to talk to you a little bit about that and your experience that you wrote about the blog post. Because I think that the whole to Jesus through Mary thing is based, or the Protestant revulsion to it is based on a profound misunderstanding. Okay. 
I think one of the features of Protestantism is to reduce everything to the issue of justification. So this is a technical term in theology, justification. It's how we are justified before God. The idea is that we have committed sins and that we need to be reconciled to God and that we our sins are justified. We're made right because the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross mm-hmm. pays the debt of our sin. You know, this is kind of Protestantism. It's Christianity 101. But the Protestants hyper-focused on justification. And in a sense, Protestantism reduces, in a lot of ways, everything down to the issue of how we are justified. This is what Martin Luther was all about. How are we justified? How are we justified? How are we justified? And yet, salvation involves two things, right? It involves justification and another word called sanctification, how we're made holy. Mm-hmm. Okay? Yep. And so it's one thing that our sins are forgiven, but then, and there is the one, the one time deposit of grace that forgives us of our sin, but then there are the graces of being made more holy and progressively growing closer to God. And Protestantism by sort of endlessly talking about that, you know, I think of it a little bit like, you know what the Bernoulli principle is? Oh, I've heard that. It's the principle of how air flows over an airplane wing. Oh, yes, It's yes. what creates lift. Right, right. I don't have to explain it here, but right, right. It, the air flows faster over the top of the wing because it's curved, and that creates right. a vacuum, which Underneath, causes lift. Under, right, creates lift. So it's like airplanes don't get in the sky unless there's lift. You right. can't fly. Airplanes right. going nowhere. It's going to fall out of the sky without, without it. Protestantism, in a lot of ways, classically, it's like the analogy I would have is that any conversation we have about airplanes or travel right. or the, the airline industry, you go, yeah, but let's talk more about the Bernoulli principle because <laughs> right. that's, that's lift. I mean, you don't get off the ground without it. It's like, we all got that. Yeah, right. Right. We all right. got that. Got it. Right. Uh, right. Lift is essential. Lift is a necessary component, right? There, right. There, without, without the Bernoulli principle, without lift. There ain't right. no airplanes, but there's a lot of other things to talk about too. Like right. who's going to sit in the plane and how are we going to sit on the plane? Right. Is the plane going to, you know, is the cabin going to be pressurized and are have we, oxygen? Are we going to get those great little cookies or are we going to get right. stiffed with the crackers? <laughs> That's right. right. Yeah. Are we gonna, yeah, do I get the full can of Coke right. or are they going to pour me that little, little Dixie <laughs> right. cup, right? Uh, I mean, there's a million, where are we going? Who's going to be flying? Right. There's a gazillion things to talk about with respect to airplanes and and a lot of times I think classic Protestantism is like this tedious person who keeps going when you go, yeah, but I want to get back to the Bernoulli principle and lift. And I go, we got it. Right. To apply that to this conversation here, we are justified by Christ's death on the cross. Catholicism teaches that. Right. I mean, Catholicism, in, not to say invented that, but right, right from the early church. I mean, we all get that. Right. We all got it. Um, without Christ's death, that we are not justified. And his resurrection, without his resurrection, right, we aren't saved. It's all Christ's death and resurrection. Got it. That's how the plane gets in the air. But when we talk about taking journeys, there's a lot of other things to talk about. Right. And that's sanctification. All the other things that are components of the Christian life. So to bring this back to the Mary thing, where I think the misunderstanding of Jesus through Mary comes is that Protestants hear that and think that the phrase Jesus through Mary applies to the issue of justification. Right. That we're saved, in a sense, 
by going to Mary to get to Jesus. And that's not what it's talking about. Right. I mean, ultimately, without without Mary, there is no Jesus. I mean, right, right, right? right. And it's, and and all the ways we've talked about that she's sort of the instrument of the incarnation. There's a a medieval saint, Saint Anselm, theologian, who used to say that without God's Son, there would be no creation. Without Mary's Son, there would be no redemption. Mm-hmm. You know, she becomes a necessary element. But when we talk about Jesus through Mary, we're oftentimes talking about not about how we're saved, how we're justified, but how we live the Christian life. And I think this is kind of what you're getting at, what your friend's getting at. It's about sanctification. It's about living the Christian life. I, I think that Jesus through Mary is, is more about devotion. It's more about, you know, when we talk about devotional practices, how do we live out our relationship with God? And Jesus through Mary, in a lot of ways, is what you're describing with your words with friend, friend, with her son potentially being ill, or a lot of ways that we're going to talk about the rosary in a bit. Right. And when we talk about Mary and devotion, we're talking about devotional practices. We're talking about how we live and experience the Christian life, not how we're saved. And Mary, as the first and greatest of Christ's disciples, is somebody who can really be a guide to us, somebody who can be a, in a sense, a point of contact for us or a a, a mentor to us, uh, a mother to us in the Christian life. Right. We're not claiming that, that we get justified by Mary, but we are claiming that once we're saved, that Mary becomes a powerful friend mm-hmm. and a mother and a figure that really helps guide our devotional life. Does that all make sense to you? Yes. Uh, it's, I, um, if you had said to, you know, to Jesus through Mary, I would have quoted back to you, there is one God and one mediator right. from the Bible, right? That's how I always understood it. Well, a Protestant friend of mine talking with him at breakfast a couple months ago, and he said, why would I want to, why would I bother going to some person when I could just go right to the sword? And, and I know all the answers to that, but that would be the Protestant thing was, you know, um, that there's not a lot of, you know, like, what do I really know about Mary? I, you know, I know Mary, I know some things about Mary from the Bible, I would be a little, you know, right now standing at the edge of this, Mm -hmm. I'm thinking, well, am I in danger of making up uh, things about Mary because I want them to be true? You know, you, you know, I've got this, there's this wonderful woman and I'm sure she's wonderful, but I really don't know very much about her. And yet I know what I need to know about her. That would be my, uh, that's how it, from, from the outside, that's how it, a little bit, I get that feeling like, well, wow, that's, it's a lot. I, I'm, I'm willing to go, you know? Well, I mean, I think we talked when we, we talked to that conversation about Mary, that other episode, we, you know, you made a point about motherhood, you know, I, I, I mean, right. So there is a sort of feminine maternal character, obviously right. to Mary and that's not a substitute for God. We're not making her a goddess, but it is that mentor, that disciple of Jesus who still prays for us, who right. we can, in a sense, turn to. You know, the last time we see Mary in the Bible, and mm-hmm. we talked about the last time that she spoke at the wedding right. of Cana, 
You know, it's interesting. The last time she appears in the Bible is at the crucifixion. And Jesus is on the cross. One of the last things he says before he dies on the cross is he looks down and he sees the apostle John and he sees Mary, his mother. And he says to John, behold your mother and to uh, Mary, behold your son. Now, how that was understood from the early church is in two ways. The sort of literal way that he asked John to take care of his mother, right? Somebody had to provide for her, give her shelter. And the extra biblical tradition is that John did that, that Mary moved to the city of Ephesus with John. And you can go to Ephesus and, you know, whether it's true or not, there's a, a house there in the mountains outside Ephesus that, that tradition holds is where John lived with Mary and provided for her for the rest of her days. And so he provided that. But more importantly, John is sort of a stand-in for all of us, that he says to John as the disciple he dearly loves and thus says to us, mm-hmm. behold, here's your mother. And he says to her, pointing to John and thus us, here's your son. And in a sense, he entrusts uh, his mother to us and us to her Mm -hmm. to to be our spiritual mother. Now, that's not a substitute for God. Nothing I've said, nothing the church has ever said says that she's a God or she's a deity or she's a substitute for God. But we do have a spiritual mother. Mm -hmm. And we also have somebody who becomes a mentor. Mm-hmm. for us, an interceder for us. And I think here's another you know, critical element, which is when we talk about through Jesus through Mary, she also becomes like a focal point or a point of view character. So right, like in a novel, you yep. say, here's like a, a way, right? So classically in a novel, you'll have a character who is kind of like the everyman or the focal point, or you mm-hmm. kind of see things through their eyes. One of the things that's interesting with Mary is how do we understand the incarnation of the person of God, the second right. person of the Trinity, that's something that's almost incomprehensible. We can't wrap our human minds around that, but Mary, in a way, becomes sort of a point of view for us to understand that. So we hear when the angel Gabriel comes to her and says, look, this is going to happen, uh, you know, and right. she gives her fiat. And then, you know, when she visits Elizabeth and we go through the, the stories of Mary, the, the, the nativity and her experience of the incarnation, uh, when she takes him to be circumcised uh, on the eighth day and the prophets Simeon and Anna mm-hmm. uh, prophesy over him and, and it says a sword pierces her heart when, when he's 12 years old and lost in the temple, right? right. At, at the time of the crucifixion, watching him die, right? Uh, at the time of his resurrection, she becomes in a sense sort of this human Mm-hmm. point of view character for us to, for us to make sense right. out of it all and to understand his relationships, even like very human things like the wedding at Cana, where there's relatives who've run out of wine at the wedding and the sort of the human interaction of Jesus. And, and Mary as sort of the perfect and best disciple becomes a way that we can enter into Jesus's story. Right. The story of the incarnation and the story of the Christ and make sense out of that. And so Jesus through Mary is not a technical description of how we're saved. It's a devotional path for us to, in devotion, begin to more, to better understand and 
to uh, approach Jesus or or to be able to relate to Jesus or to interact with the Christ in ways through right. our devotion to her, she, in a sense, helps us to draw closer to him. It's one of those things that you talked about a couple of podcasts ago about we need touch points. We need, yeah. we need yeah. these physical things. Exactly. I love to go antiquing. My wife and I go antiquing. Right. And I am fascinated by the history of things because those, the, I'll see things and I think there's a, there's a person's history here. A right. specific person owned this. I still have the height in the basement. I have the high chair. I, right. I sat in when I was, you know, yeah. two years old. And I'm loath to get rid of it because it's something I can put my hands on yeah. that connects me directly yeah. to my, you know, my parents are yeah. gone. They've passed on. Uh, I have some of their stuff, right? And I, right. I love keeping some of that stuff because uh, my mom sat in that chair, right? right? So also with Mary, it, it, I was thinking as at the, in the podcast where we talk, first talked about that she wasn't an idea or a theological right. concept. She was an actual woman yeah. who actually lived and you can go walk on the same streets that she yes. walked on and she was a specific person. That I found to be very compelling. And, and that's the, the thing of reducing her that I think she's reduced to in, especially evangelicalism, that she's basically the, the oven that, that the Christ bun gets baked in. Right. And so she's just some teenage girl that almost gets picked at random. She's a good teenage girl. It, it, right. God, in a sense, sort of uses her womb. She bakes them. She, you know, then she kind of you know, raises the baby Jesus and then she just right. goes away and she's not important anymore. Well, it, and that just seems so like offensive and reductionist. I think the Protestants use it as my own sense always was that they used that to say there was nothing special about Mary. There's nothing special about you. It was all Jesus. Right. But that is not my experience with even the Christians I've known. Right. You know, there was a, there was a man who was a Sunday school teacher when I was a kid. And one evening uh, they were having an altar call at the Baptist church and you, you go down front and I was, you came down if you need something prayed for. And this man who had been my Sunday school teacher and my youth group director mm-hmm. for a while and all that, uh, who I just saw as Mr. So-and-so the guy, right. He knelt down next to me and he said, and he said, uh, no, I hear siren. I, I do. Yeah. Uh, we should just pray Lord, whatever this is. I hope nobody's hurt. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Um, and he said, Ed, why don't we pray together and see if we can help each other? And now I have great fondness for that guy. Right. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. so, so then here back to the story of my uh, correspondent friend who said she prayed about her own son because she had always been paraphrasing here. She, she knew that Mary suffered watching her own son and loved her own son and suffered for him, suffered on his behalf, watching him. And she felt a kinship yeah. with this, with this woman. And, and I am, I am utterly, I keep overusing the word compelled. Here it is. Uh, I'm compelled by that. I think, no, there's an actual Mary. I mean, I can't see her. I can't touch her. She's somewhere, but she's physical and she's there. And she's, there's an actual Mary just as much as to, to clarify as there is an actual, you know, St. Peter in heaven and St. Paul in heaven and, right. and all the other and saints. And they're not... They're not a concept. They're an actual person who looked an actual way and liked certain yeah. foods and didn't like others. Yeah. And it's all part of the story. And we're all, con- I love the idea that I am connected, yeah. that I'm grafted into that story, that I'm part of that story. Yeah. Uh, and these, these are my, 
as my wife would say, these are my people, you yeah. know, these are the, you know, I'm, I'm part of that. I'm, I, I, I really want to be part of that. Well, I not 40 or 50 yards from us here at the one rolling adventure secret compound. I've showed you the uh, chapel in the pines yeah. here and we have a, a crucifix of Jesus. And then below that much lower and smaller, mm-hmm. uh, we have a, you know, a, a little statue of Mary. Right. And it's Mary with uh, lilies, uh, which represents purity. And I know when I sit on the, the little seat in the little chapel in the pines here, which is a little cutoff stump, right. uh, and I sit there and pray my rosary or, or meditate or pray whatever prayers I'm praying, that there's something wonderfully centering about that. I mean, my, my eyes are, 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 are directed upward towards the crucifix and right. towards Jesus, but down at eye level, or at my level, there's something that's terribly comforting about knowing that his mother, who right. he gave to yes. all of us to be our spiritual mother, a mentor, a guide, a, a model, a template for what true right. devotion and discipleship to God is, uh, that she's there and she centers me and, and becomes an, an example for me. I know that, you know, for me personally, one of the things that when I feel frustrated or tempted or whatever, one of the things I do this has become my own devotional practice is to sort of center myself in Mary's example. You know, like we used to have the bracelets, what would Jesus do? Right. And one of the things I like to think of is what would Mary do? Right. Because Mary is the, the, the perfect disciple. And in a lot of ways, I want to do what Jesus does, but in, in a lot of ways, she's, she's a perfect example for me. Mm-hmm. And we meet her and she says, not thy will or not my will, but thine be done. Right. And yeah. so it, it's, it's terribly comforting and centering. And so anyway, this whole idea of Jesus through Mary, which is what you're sort of beginning to experience is really as a devotional practice more than a theological principle. Right. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Thanks, Ed. Yep. Thank you for listening. My name is Greg Smith. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, would you please hit the like and subscribe buttons wherever you get your podcasts? And please share it with others. And if you're curious about the Catholic worldview and faith, the Church and its saints, or Catholic history, culture, and art, then visit consideringcatholicism.com. And email me to let me know what you think. Greg at consideringcatholicism.com.